If you had childhood trauma and you're still talking about what happened to you to your friends or maybe week after week in therapy sessions and you're not making progress toward healing your life, I want you to hear this. Talking about your traumatic experiences may not be the best way to heal from what happened to you in childhood. And in fact, it can activate neural circuits related to the stress response that make it harder for you to think, harder to focus, and it's almost impossible then to process your emotions. Now, outside of this channel, not a lot of people talk about this. But there is another way to process your memories and your feelings about traumatic experiences that has to do not with speaking, but with writing. And recently, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who has a hugely influential podcast focused on neuroscience and often mental health, he did a whole episode on it. And now I'm so happy about this. Everyone is talking about the therapeutic value of writing in order to heal trauma but not just any writing. Dr. Huberman's podcast episode is focused on the work of Dr. James Pennebaker, who you've heard about on this channel because he's done deep research at the University of Texas at Austin on the healing power of what he calls expressive writing, which is a structured method for healing from traumatic experiences by writing about them. I have a lot I wanna share with you about this, the strengths of his approach and some possible ways it might not be exactly suited to the needs of traumatized people. And I also wanna talk here about why the writing technique that I teach, which I call the daily practice, and which is informed by Pennebaker's work as well, but it has some important differences from Pennebaker's technique and it may be a way to get the benefits of expressive writing within a structure that is uh, better suited to traumatized people. It's gentler, it's sustainable over time so that you get the benefits and um, it's more of like a way of life rather than a one-time intervention. So my approach also has the option to be part of a community of people who use the same technique, which I believe is very important for boosting the, the impact of your healing. So I'll share links and resources at the end of the video to my daily practice method, to Pennebaker's work, and to the Huberman podcast, which I really recommend you listen to. But hang out with me here for a little bit so I can tell you about what's important to know about how all this fits together, because you might just want to have this info to decide what your approach should be, what works for you. So first, how is it possible that something as simple as writing your feelings is, is revolutionizing the treatment of trauma. We now know that experiences of abuse and neglect can cause distinctive neurological changes in children. And some of this lingers into adulthood, which many of us feel, and it needs some extra healing work. And that's exactly what this channel is about, identifying and healing trauma wounds and finding ways to better handle those moments when your trauma wounds activate anyway. So healing trauma symptoms and then changing trauma-driven reactions to problems are two powerful steps that you can take that turn your life around and move it quickly in a positive direction. Now, James Pennebaker's work over the last 35 years and Andrew Huberman's summary of the findings from about 200 peer-reviewed studies about Pennebaker's work do deal with the trauma, but are focused a little more broadly on overall physical and mental health 
and how a particular form of writing can be of benefit. Now their point of view is from a therapeutic and scientific lens rather than a personal lens. And the method I teach is from that personal lens because I have CPTSD and I know what it feels like and what it feels like when the symptoms are healing, even though I'm not a therapist or researcher, or not officially, because I do research quite a bit what kind of healing methods are out there, what seems to be working for people. But in my work, I teach about the experience of living with trauma symptoms and the experience of using writing to heal. And then what's it like as each little symptom begins to change? I, I try to name that. And I think a lot of people are really drawn to my channel because of that specificity about what it's like. So the first important thing that I figured out in my own healing and then confirmed by reading the studies out there, and this discovery saved my life, is that for me and many other people, talking about traumatic experiences can actually make trauma symptoms worse. And yes, talking about experiences is exactly what we were told to do in therapy. Back when I used to do talk therapy, would make my thoughts race and I'd go into just like a mental tangle. My emotions would just flare up like a house fire. And I felt horrible after therapy appointments. I was confused, overwhelmed, crying. And honestly, I, th I thought it was just me. And sometimes I got this feedback about, yeah, you're just letting it out. But in the end, that's not what it was. I was getting stirred up with the emotions so big and then having nowhere to go. It, I don't think it was good for me. Has that happened to you? Especially if you're asked to go into detail about trauma, even with people you love and trust, it can trigger mental and emotional overwhelm. And you might, when you're in that overwhelm state, just do things that you don't feel good about. You might have a breakdown of crying or lash out and be mean or just mentally shut down, just like shut the door on everybody or run away from your relationships. And these are signs that the trauma response in your brain and nervous system is activated, not in a good way but almost as if the old traumatic experiences are happening right now, like they just get overlaid on present day experiences and then they cause problems. It does not match reality and everyone knows it and it's very difficult for other people to deal with. So it can be horrible for relationships and it can be so hard on your body to keep reacting like this. And no matter how well-trained or how caring your therapist is, if they're not helping you directly deal with your nervous system response, it's not very likely you're gonna get much out of a session. In fact, you might come out feeling worse rather than better. And if that happens too many appointments in a row, you know, you are getting worse. So we now know that while processing traumatic experience is necessary, processing it by talking about it can for some people, if it's relied on too much, derail efforts to heal. Talking activates the amygdala, which is the part of your brain that's heavily involved in processing emotions, especially the feeling of being under threat. And then this prompts your body to release stress hormones. And if you're talking a lot about what happened, you can end up just overwhelmed like a wash in these hormones and what is called emotional arousal, just <laughs> or <laughs> what I call being freaked out. <laughs> Talking about trauma can also activate your HPA axis. And this is the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal glands that work together when you're actually going through trauma. And they help you protect yourself and get out of danger. But activating the HPA axis again and again, just by talking about the past, can have negative effects on your physical health, your psychological health. 
When I tell you that I was freaked out after therapy visits, that is what was going on. So talking about your trauma can also produce like wild swings in the functioning of your prefrontal cortex, your ability to reason and make decisions get suppressed and your emotions, which are over here, they just go, they go way up out of balance. But also talking about your traumatic experiences impacts neurotransmitter levels in your brain of things like dopamine and serotonin, big ups, big downs, which has a big impact on your sense of being okay and safe and able to face your life. Now we've known for a long time that the initial trauma that, you know, the thing that happened, it messes with neurotransmitter levels. But now we know that this also happens when you just talk about that trauma. Weird, right? Now there's something about talking and I'm speaking neurologically that can trigger the trauma response just as if you're living through it again. You'll be in present time. It's not like you're confused about where you are or what day it is, but your nervous system is going into high gear as if the terrible thing is happening again and again and again. Now trauma causes an injury to our ability to process emotions and yet somehow we need to process those emotions to heal. We need to process the memories of what happened. And processing means your brain and nervous system can review the memory and interpret it. And now that it's passed, file it appropriately as a memory, not a terrifying thing that I must respond to right now. Unprocessed thoughts and emotions are precisely what accumulates in a traumatized mind. We're not able to fully process them under stress. It's why focus is hard. It's why emotions are too large and get reactive or our sense of being present just like drains away at the weirdest times and we space out. It's why you go around feeling so totally overwhelmed by simple things like you know, speaking up in class or saying no to someone who asks you for money on the street or just calming down after a loud noise. When you have complex PTSD, like it's difficult to like bring it back down. There's too much bouncing around in here. Your thinking gets noisy and unprocessed thoughts and emotions are everywhere. So this is where writing comes in and it can save the day. Writing is a way you can process emotions without all the triggers involved in speaking about the trauma. Now my experience is I can write it and I can even read it to someone and stay regulated. If I just speak it, if I go right into talking about it, I get dysregulated. Even though I know now how to get re-regulated and I can bounce back and I know it's dysregulation. When I talk about trauma, it happens. So in light of all this, let's talk about James Pennebaker's work. Dr. Pennebaker is a professor at the University of Austin in Texas, and starting in the 80s, he's been doing research on the use of a fairly easy writing technique that's been shown to help reduce depression and anxiety and to improve well-being and even to improve physical health. And these benefits are not just at the time of writing, they last long term, or they, ha they have an effect long term. It may not be 100% all the way across time, but there's a long-term effect, and that's a big deal. I, I have worked in healthcare uh, before Crabby Childhood Ferry. I was there for 25 years, and I'll tell you, rarely is there a silver bullet like this that consistently actually does something positive. You know, most things are, they have a weak effect, they're inconsistent, they're very hard to implement, but this you can do yourself. I love 
that writing is a solution, especially because, yeah, you can do it yourself, you can do it anytime, it's free, and you can feel better, like now, which is so important with CPTSD. Don't ever let people tell you when you feel worse because of some treatment you're trying, oh yeah, it's gotta get worse before it gets better. I don't think a lot of us can afford to just feel worse for a long time. We need to feel better. When we feel better and when we're regulated, we can actually take on healing work that's difficult or challenging. And that's great. But going right into something that just crashes your emotions, I don't think is safe and I don't think it's positive. Now, my method is a little different than Pennebaker's, but the results what I've observed in thousands of my students, at least those who learned the methods that I teach and communicated the results back to me. You know, some people learn it and just scatter, but, but I'm in a lot of communication with people who use my technique every day. And the results that people report to me and that I've personally experienced closely match Pennebaker's findings. They experience better mental focus, a sense of calm, more ease in connecting with other people, and fewer trauma-driven problems, you know, things like angry blow-ups or uh, addictions. Addictions are, are, you know, tricky, but when you're regulated, when you have this peace inside, you have a fighting chance to get through an addiction and stop using the substance or the experience that's keeping you in a um, flight state. So the trauma-driven problems and behaviors sort of fade out when you're using this writing and it increase it helps to increase like a sense of inner power in your life to become your full and real self and you know me i'm always insisting we work on healing not just to feel better we need to feel better and we need to feel better so that we can bring it we can become our full and real self and bring our gifts to the world so what Pennebaker's subjects um, achieve in his technique of writing is very similar to what members of Crappy Childhood Fairies seem to achieve. Um, we don't yet have clinical validation. I'm gonna put out right now that if you're watching this and you have, um, you work in an institution where you could help us do that, clinically evaluate the efficacy of my daily practice, I'd love to talk to you. Hello at crappychildhoodfairy.com. We'd really like to do that as soon as we find a suitable partner. But so, what Pennebaker has found is validating. And the fact that Andrew Huberman is now shining a light on the power of writing for mental and physical healing, especially because, you know, Huberman has such a gift for explaining complicated things. This is going to be life-changing for a lot of people. We are long overdue to change the way we understand what trauma is and how to treat it. Like it is way back there. It is all over the place. There's very little evaluation of what works. People make claims all the time, you know, oh, this is trauma informed and this is what we do. But, you know, question, <laughs> look a little deeper and see are there actual uh, results in, in scientific studies that the, the techniques that are covered by your insurance, the treatments that they pay for and recommend for you at your doctor, do they actually work for trauma? It's an important question to ask. The answer is often no. Now, the Pennebaker research started in the 1980s. And when I first discovered his work, maybe 10 years ago, I had already been using my daily practice writing technique for almost 20 years. And I was teaching other people for most of that time. And honestly, I didn't know why my techniques, you know, which is, I have a writing technique followed by an easy meditation. I did not know why it worked so well. I just knew that it did. And if you watch my channel or you take my courses, you've heard the stories about how bad things got for me before I stumbled on the daily practice techniques. 
I had not been doing great that year because I'd had my heart broken very badly. And then I was randomly attacked on the street, um, beaten unconscious with broken bones in my face and teeth. And then within a couple of weeks, my mother died. And it was a lot. But these harsh experiences are what made it necessary for me to try something completely new and something radical because therapy wasn't enough. I was there three times a week and I, I was getting worse, not better. So that's when I stumbled on the writing technique that I teach. And I, I was freaked out. I was a total mess. I was shown the technique. I was reluctant at first, but thank goodness I did it. And by morning I was 50% better. And I mean, I was down. I had been getting worse for months. I was, I had pushed away all my friends. I was about to lose my job. I was so depressed. I didn't see how I could go on. So any progress was a big deal. And I got this like big progress. So I kept going and then I added the restful meditation that was suggested to me that I suggest to everybody who uses my technique. I teach it. It's very simple. It's in this free course I teach. And it's, it comes immediately after writing. And I did this twice a day as suggested. And guess what? I calmed way down and not in a dull minded way, but in a high functioning and clear headed way. And during times when I didn't bother to use the technique, you know, I went into resistance to it. It's inconvenient. It felt, it felt culty, you know, it just was a, it was a nuisance. And I didn't want to have to take care of my nervous system like this. I resented that it was necessary. So I, I would stop sometimes short times once for two years, but there was no denying it that when I stopped, I would basically revert to the same dysregulated, upset, miserable ADHD like thinking that used to be the only way I could think. And I now know that, that what that was, was classic complex PTSD. And here's the thing about complex PTSD, that's CPTSD. That's the kind that comes from chronic exposure to intense stress, usually in childhood, not always. But with CPTSD, it's not just that you get all neurologically dysregulated. It's that when you live dysregulated, you end up making all these trauma-driven decisions and hatching all these trauma-driven problems, and you cannot see your way out. If you have this, you know exactly what I'm talking about feeling discombobulated, overwhelmed, your mind all over the place, lashing out, having overly intense emotions, attaching to the wrong people, staying too long. This is what gives rise to trauma-driven behaviors that re-traumatize you because that's what traumatized people do. Not on purpose, but we loop, we loop on it. And if we're not actively healing, most of us are going deeper into trauma. So I was re-traumatizing myself through my own self-defeating behaviors around, especially around relationships and jobs and friendships, very typical for people abused and neglected as kids. And I was also getting re-traumatized by doing what I was told you're supposed to do, which was to go talk to a therapist because talking about trauma was majorly dysregulating. So I couldn't process whatever I was talking about in therapy. I was probably getting great help and advice, but I couldn't get it into myself. I couldn't even remember what we talked about in a therapy and I was getting worse and I had no idea why or what to do, which was pretty terrifying. And I didn't know about CPTSD and neurological dysregulation back then. And neither did my therapist because nobody knew, but that's definitely what I had. And the worse it got, the more I went to therapy and then my trauma response was getting so jacked up. I could hardly function anymore. 
Now, if you've been watching me for a while or you've taken my courses, you know that I am someone who did heal from CPTSD symptoms, but that didn't begin until I stopped talking about the trauma and started instead to write about all my harsh thoughts and feelings and using my daily practice writing technique. So I'll tell you about Pennebaker's method, but I want to give you a caveat that based on my experience, there are a couple things about it that I think might be challenging for people with a history of trauma. You can decide for yourself. So Pennebaker's work is focused on a specific technique that he developed called expressive writing. And he invited research participants to sit down and write about their most painful memory. They'd write for 15 to 30 minutes and he kind of refined his technique and he it developed into this thing where they would do it for four consecutive days, four days in a row, what they remembered about this terrible incident and how they felt about it. And their variations came up over time. You could do it spread out if you wanted, but many aspects of this before and after this exercise, the results were dramatic and they were consistent and they lasted. So even months after this four day exercise, his participants were overall less depressed and anxious. They had stronger immune systems. You know, they checked the blood and there it was. And they were able to enjoy more emotional freedom from the memory of the bad things that had happened to them. That's a very important thing for connecting with people and forming relationships. So this is great, but there are some downsides to Pennebaker's method. First of all, writing for 15 or 30 minutes about the worst thing that ever happened in his study, you know, it was noted that it was sometimes exhausting for people for days sometimes. And sometimes it was emotionally intense, like overwhelmingly intense. And these are two problems for traumatized people that could very quickly make them either break down emotionally or it can make people give up because it's too triggering and disruptive to their being able to, you know, do their lives. And this is why I believe my daily practice technique offers a really nice couple of modifications uh, and might make it better tailored to the needs of people with childhood trauma. In the daily practice, for example, we don't head straight for a, the, a, the terrible memory, the worst thing that ever happened. We just write every day, twice a day about the things that are bothering us. And the things that are bothering us, um, you could think of them like, it's not like a shovel where you're digging in and trying to get to the bottom of things. It's more like an archeologist's brush and you're brushing off the top layer of, you know, what's here's the top layer of what you're aware of that's bothering you. So we face the memories and the feelings as they come. There's no special priority. The really bad experiences do come up sometimes, usually not all at once and not always at the beginning, but in the daily practice, we treat them like any other distressing thought. We get them on paper. And this could be a memory from 10 minutes ago, or it could be a memory from childhood, or a fear that something happened to you in the past because you're looking at the symptoms you have now, or it could be a grudge you hold against someone close to you. And, and then it also includes fear. It's resentment and fear. So it could be an anxiety about an event coming up, you know, a holiday coming up and uh, you're ruminating about, about how that's going to go. How are you going to handle it? How are you going to hold your boundaries? What are you going to bring for a dish? That sort of things. All of that just goes on the paper, big things, small things. And in the daily practice, we categorize all distressing thoughts into those two buckets of either fear or resentment. And I know there's many more subtle emotions there. Um, and positive ones too. But in this practice, we are just naming the negative ones in two categories, fear and resentment. We keep it simple like that so that we can hold them lightly, jot them down, not think about them too much and keep moving forward with the practice. 
Now, Penna Baker calls it journaling. But the daily practice, I'm always saying this is not a journal. A lot of people will say, oh, I've journaled. And, you know, most of us have. Journaling is for a different purpose. It's for the purpose of documenting, remembering, recording, and maybe um, going back over time to analyze events and saying, did I have a pattern? You know, when did the trouble start? So there's a purpose to journaling that's different. And that's all good, but it's not what we do in the daily practice. We just name the fearful and resentful thoughts on paper, and this is all with a specific format so that uh, you don't just grab paper while you're listening to this video and start trying to do it and just um, what I call ranting on paper. That's That probably will make you feel worse. There's a technique to it, and I, you can learn it for free. I'm going to put the link. Just never fear. There's a link at the end here. But it's very specific so that you are releasing these fears. And the way that you're writing them and naming them is going to help you get to that specificity. For whatever reason, I found being very specific is like WD-40 to get that old bad feeling loosened up a little bit so that you can get freer of it. So we name the fearful and resentful thoughts and then we either release them or ask for them to be removed, um, depending on what your spiritual orientation is. And this is how we wrap it up with a, a written prayer of sorts, giving all these fearful and resentful thoughts to a higher power. For people who are not inclined that way and see it more as operating out of a higher self and releasing the fears and resentments, releasing by themselves, they write a release statement. So there's a written ending, there's a resolution to the exercise where we offload these troubled thoughts. And then we go immediately into a simple and restful meditation for 20 minutes. Now, when I learned this, I learned transcendental meditation, AKA Vedic meditation, which I think is uniquely suited to do the trick here, but you don't have to go learn meditation formally to give this a try. It's something you may want to add later, but there are some forms of meditation, like that's a very broad word. And what I would suggest is if you have a form of meditation you do regularly all the time, then that's easy for you. I want it to be easy. If you don't normally meditate, you might want to try my very simple technique. What you're, we're, not, we're not focusing on the breath. We're not sitting a certain way. We're not trying to like watch our thoughts or observe anything. Those are all good goals in various forms of meditation, like mindfulness. But honestly, I'll tell you as a person with CPTSD, mindfulness is so demanding that it's, it's just daunting. I can't really stay with it. Restful meditation I can do. I can take a rest. And I have found that taking a rest is enough. Not lying down. Like naps are actually quite refreshing, but it, when you're sitting down to meditate, that's the one thing that I tell people, like don't put your head back on anything. Don't um, invite yourself to go to sleep. You might go to sleep, which is fine, because sometimes that really is like the rest that you needed was an actual nap. So the meditation that we do, we write for a while, we write till we feel better, then we sit down for 20 minutes of meditation. And usually that meditation, it just feels like rest, but some days it's something extraordinary. If you're lucky, insight kind of comes to visit you or, or a sense of peace about something or forgiveness. You know, you don't have to manufacture these things. Sometimes just sort of life force energy comes and fills you up a little more while you have your eyes closed. Oh, that's a gift. Some people want to use the daily practice like just, I, I just call it like this, they use it like aspirin. They want to use it once in a while as needed. And that's fine, but it really becomes so much more powerful when instead of aspirin, you use it like a toothbrush twice a day, whether you think you need it or not, <laughs> and relief comes. And sometimes 
a feeling of ease and flow can show up. But that regularity really takes you to a level with it that's quite different than just using it occasionally to get through a rough patch. Either way is fine. But obviously I'm leaning towards twice a day. It sounds so easy, right? And it just seems like, how could it be true? But the only way to find out what it can do for you is to give it a try. And I'm not a PhD, I'm not a therapist, but I have taught my daily practice to thousands of people over the last 30 years. I've seen you know, people who fall away, people who hate it, people who stalled out, they wanted to continue, but they just couldn't find the will. I've um, People who find it uncomfortable or too triggering, or they think it's stupid, or they don't like me, I've seen it all. But largely, I've just seen thousands who found this technique to really help them, and experienced in many cases quite dramatic relief. I learned it from people who had used these techniques to stop drinking and to stop feeling depressed once they had stopped drinking, which, you know, it's a, I'm not an alcoholic, but I know many sober alcoholics and I sure knew a lot of active alcoholics in my life. And a lot of what is hard for people who are getting sober, for example, or getting off of any kind of coping mechanism or substance addiction is that it leaves you feeling quite fragile. A lot of feelings come up. And so this is a way, like whatever's coming up, you have a way to keep moving those feelings downstream, processing them, not all jammed up in your head and your heart, overwhelming you. It's kind of like there's a storm inside and it turns out there's a neurological basis to that. The storm is a, a lack of, it's, it's a lot of thoughts that can't be processed. And when you have that storm going active inside, it's, I always said it was like headphones listening to loud, heavy metal music, trying to act normal. And I'm like, no, I hear whatever, I know what's going on in the room, but you don't, you're, you're getting overwhelmed by this noise inside. And it's very hard to make positive changes. So I remember how surprised I was that I started feeling better so quickly. Everything got so much easier. And I did experience dramatic healing in my physical health at that time too. And then 12 years into using my daily practice, when I got frustrated and I quit for a couple years, a lot of my old problems came back. You know, the back pain, the asthma, the emotional ups and downs, and then like the terrible, seemingly unconscious choices of people to let into my life. Things got worse. You know, they say in AA that alcoholism is a progressive and fatal disease, and they say that to explain why you know, sometimes people, they get sober for a while and their problems are like this big and then they go ahead and drink for a while and after, you know, 10 years or something, they come back to sobriety. But the problems have gotten much worse. It's like the problems wait for you while you're, while you're well, while you're sober or while you're out of the dysregulation. It's as if it advances. And so when you drop back in and relapse into dysregulation and the trauma symptoms, they've gotten worse while you were away. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Maybe... Maybe Huberman can take a look at that. <laughs> but I noticed that in myself and other people. So that's why I just say, you know, why I believe that a daily practice and a way of life are so important. I think it's a little bit analogous to something like diabetes, where if you have diabetes, I don't, but I know people who do certainly. If you have it and you change some things about your life, what you eat and how you take care of yourself with medicine and that your symptoms might even go away. You know, many people have a total reversal of symptoms, but if you fall back into the old pattern, they'll come back and they could actually be quite worse and more consequential. You've gotten older. So that's another way of looking at it. 
And so if you had diabetes or you had alcoholism, like we all know, it's like you kind of want to stay with the thing that helps you. You just stay there every day and it's not easy. And sometimes you resist and sometimes you're going to fall off the wagon. But staying there every day is a good thing. And that's what I thought Pennebaker's method didn't, it wasn't really designed for. When I would give up my daily practice, I got to have the experience of things getting very bad in my life. And then I would come crawling back and very quickly things would get better again. So it's my life's work. You know, that was so clear. It was so clear to me that it made a difference. And it was my life's work. I started sharing it, teaching people about it like a couple of months after I knew it. I used to share it in 12-step meetings and then eventually through Crappy Childhood Fairy and on YouTube where I can reach, you know, so many people. And you can tell me in the comments if you use my techniques and how it's been for you. And uh, a lot of times when people have a little bit of a rough patch with it, they come to the calls. I do these free calls every two weeks and you can come and you can ask questions about it. You can get a little course correction if something's going wrong and you can use the techniques with other people. We just had a Christmas party and most of the people in my life do the daily practice. And so the party began with uh, everybody sitting down and writing and med meditating together, except my husband and some of the friends who didn't do it. They got stuck with cooking. Uh -huh. <laughs> we sat and we wrote and meditated together. And for some of the people, it was their first time using these techniques together in a group. And it feels really nice. It's It sort of brings a little gravity to the whole thing. It helps your mind settle down, I think, when we do it together. And it's the most casual of cultures where you, you can come late, you can leave early, you just sit down quietly and join everybody. And uh, I recommend it. So on the internet, we do this on Zoom. And I lead these calls every two weeks. And if you sign up for the free course, you'll get emails before the meetings to encourage you to sign up. And you can see the schedule. I sort of do it at irregular times so that it will work for different people on their schedule. It's not at the same time every week. So I, I'd love it if you came to that. So I'm just putting that out there now. But I really feel that the continued practice, keeping it every day and doing it in community with other people is unlike anything else. And the other thing about people who do the daily practice is that when you get to know them is you can find buddies, you can find people to do it with on Zoom. You know, we do it with people all over the world. It's so cool like that. But you can also find like one person who you read what you wrote sometimes. And reading what you wrote is not absolutely essential, but it can be, it's, it's another kind of like WD-40 because sometimes you're writing about these fears and resentments all the time. You're asking for them to be removed, but there is no substitute for when you read that out loud to somebody else to get perspective on it. We end up believing our own fears and resentments, don't we? You know, it's, it feels very real. And the, the act of just telling another person what it is, and again, not talking about trauma, but just reading whatever the fears and resentments are, which will include traumatic memories sometimes just saying it to another person. There's often relatedness there, which is nice, but there's just this like lightening up. You get a little more lighthearted because you can sort of see the difference between what's true and what your fears are telling you. Now, not all fears are crazy. You know, some fears are real. Like, you know, sometimes you might say, I, I have fear something's wrong, something's wrong with my health. And you go to the doctor and yes, you have anemia and your fears were telling you something. So we're not knocking fear. We're just getting it on paper. And my experience of, of having fears and resentment removed 
is that it, um, it doesn't make me helpless. It doesn't make me oblivious or in denial about what's going on. It just helps me separate the, the, the real stuff from the junk floating around, the wheat from the chaff. And about 80% of the stuff that I'm fretting about in my mind that struggles to process things is not really anything I need to worry about. I'm ruminating, I'm going over and over something, I'm imagining something, and then some of it I do need to worry about. And that's the thing about traumatized people is we can really miss the important thing because there's so much noise in our heads about the unimportant things that we can't tell the difference. People with CPTSD say all the time, now, is it just me or does nit nit my, you know, what I think is going on? And we are not always right. We can, are not always in a position to trust our intuition or trust our gut because we can't distinguish our genuine intuition from uh, an anxiety thought that is actually not something that we have to worry about. When those anxiety thoughts go too far, you know, they can go as far as like psychosis, paranoia. And all of us have a little bit of that. We have a little bit and we need to get it in perspective. We need to get it separated from the stuff that really does need our attention. Especially if you have, you know, important work like children to care for and to be paying attention to the signs or being able to pay attention to a partner who needs your attention right now, but isn't expressing it. Those are the sorts of things that you can start to be much more perceptive and responsive to because there's less junk in your mind. If you're having a conflict with somebody, let's say you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're arguing about something and you've been going round and round and round for hours and everybody's like exhausted and in tears and it's not going anywhere. That's usually a sign that there's a bunch of excess, unprocessed, fearful, resentful thoughts in your head. And of course, naturally we think, if I feel this way and I'm talking to you, you must be making me feel this and I want you to stop. I want you to make it better. And that's a terrible pressure to put on another person and it tends to alienate them and push them away. And so when you can just stop and write, sometimes people write together. You don't have to write together. It doesn't have to be both people in the couple. You can just do it for yourself and you can write your fears and resentments, ask for them to be removed, rest in meditation and come back. And usually you will have distilled down what you need to talk about quite a bit to something that another person just might be able to hear and respond to. It will more closely match what they agree is a problem. Because when, you know, all this unprocessed fear and stuff is coming up or we're projecting all this old stuff from childhood, what are people going to do? They can't help you with that. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They don't really know what you're referring to. They feel blamed. So better outcomes are possible. It's, you know, we're all human. We, we, we can't always be at our best, even under the best circumstances. So this daily practice is my life's work, sharing this with people. And I have this book coming out in October 24, um, published by Hay House. And it is going to give you great detail about the daily practice. And it will have a whole addendum about the FAQs and how to do it. And I'm so excited about the reach of this technique going further out into the world because when I was suffering with my CPTSD symptoms, I'm telling you, there was no help. I mean, whatever people did to try to help me, the CAT scans, the therapies, the books, the groups, like it couldn't reach me and this could. And I want everybody who needs it to have access to it. If you try it and you go, this isn't for me, I don't need it. Okay, no harm done. But it's very simple. It's compatible with any other treatments you're using. It's compatible with your faith or lack of spirituality, whatever is true for you, this fits. It will fit and it's simple. 
So in light of my personal mission to get out, to get this out there, Pennebaker's work has been tremendous. It has that validation. Andrew Huberman sharing this on his incredible podcast is going to reach millions of people. This is fantastic. So I encourage you, listen to that podcast. Um, it's about 90 minutes long, you know, make some time to have a listen to it and learn the scientific basis for why writing which costs nothing, it's effective, find out why, because it's detailed there, how that works. I think that may help you embrace it a little with less worry that, yeah, it's just, it's just good to know the science of something. Then it's absolutely necessary to have an experience of it. And I, so I encourage you, come try our very trauma-friendly writing practice here, the daily practice, the daily one with community. You can try it by yourself. You can decide whether you want to come to big group calls with hundreds of people with me or decide whether you want to come into the membership. Like I have a membership where experienced people with the daily practice lead peer-led calls multiple times a day. So when people come into my membership program, they can go to, they can go to meetings that suit their time zone. It's, it's pretty incredible. And the people who participate in those meetings, hands down, they get the best results. So um, not, it's not mandatory, but it's an option for people. So you can come to these Zoom calls with me and um, with hundreds of people come. They're wonderful. They're my favorite part of the week. And to come to those calls, all you need to do is sign up for the free course. And when you sign up for the free course, you can learn and try the techniques yourself in a, like an hour learn it and try it in an hour. And there's a bunch of FAQs that you may want to explore there so that you can get the fine points. And then I just ask that you, you actually learn the techniques before coming to the calls because I've done my best. It takes me a bit of time to teach how to do it. There's a download there that you can take with you to the call when you get on the Zoom call, like have it with you so you can follow along until you've really, really learned the technique. It's not that hard, but it's specific. And in the calls, I don't teach it. We just do it. We do it. And then we write for 15 minutes. We meditate for 20 minutes. And then I take questions. And the, to the whole call ends up being a couple hours usually. So some people who take the free course decide to come to the calls. Sometimes people just keep it just their own thing. They don't participate. Some people decide to go weigh in and they sign up for the courses and the membership and the peer-led calls. So that's the paid level that we have. And it comes with the peer-led daily practice calls and a whole secret Facebook group and then free access to my courses and webinars and group coaching calls. So yeah, this is all a bit of a commercial for the things I offer, but I want to tell you because I do think the community aspect of this is a very important part of it. You can absolutely do it by yourself. And I think what a lot of people do is they do it by themselves for a while. And if they like it, then maybe, you know, put your toe in, come to a call. And if you love that, you know, maybe come into the, the larger part of the programs. It can really boost your healing to have people who walk that same path with you. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.